Hey, what up, y'all? It's your girl, Vivica Fox, and welcome to my podcast, Hustling with Vivica A. Fox. Darlings, don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen to Hustling with Vivica A. Fox now. I've got a living legend for y'all today. He's an actor, producer, and teacher of the arts, an awesome dad, and a very, very dear friend of mine. Please welcome the very handsome Richard Lawson. Hey, Richard. Hey, Vivica, what's going on? Hey, you know, you know, trying to survive through Corona, Corona. How's this pandemic been to you so far? Because it's been going on now for almost about eight months, right? Oh, it's been going on. I remember March 13th when we shut everything down and we said, well, you know, let's give it two weeks and then we'll be back in two weeks. Right. (laughs) It just, well, you know, it is what it is and, and we have to pivot. And make it go right. Otherwise, you know, it, it it gets the best of you really quickly and really easily if you let your guard down. Agreed. I absolutely agree with you. And you turned this time into a true experience for you because I see you looking slim, looking real slim nowadays. What's going on? What you do? And how'd right. you do it? Uh, you, you, you remember when we worked together in uh, Detroit? Yes. And, and we had a ball, you know, dealing with them crazy, that crazy family of mine. Yes. I was just too big. And I didn't realize until I strung together, well, Tina put together a bunch of my films for my birthday. Right. And, and I started looking. I said, yeah, yeah, that was, that was Dynasty, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like fit. They were calling me Adonis in the gym. And then I looked at stuff and all my children. And, and then I got into the later 90s and then stuff in the early 2000s. And I saw myself getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I didn't accept it. Until one day I said, you know what, that is not me and I need to do something about it. So I did. I found a program that I've been on and uh, that one of my former students is uh, actually coaching me on it. And uh, since March 4th, Mm -hmm. um, took me about four months to lose uh, 55 pounds. just makes me mad. I'm, I mean, I'm happy for you. Don't get me wrong, brother. But man, y'all could just say, oh, okay, I'll stop drinking sugar. I'll stop drinking sodas. And the weight just falls off. You lost 55 pounds in four months, Richard. I lost 55 pounds. I lost 12 pounds in seven days. The first seven days, I lost 12 pounds. By doing what? Well, I eat six times a day. Um, oh. I uh, drink a gallon of water. Yes. And I eat smaller meals, and 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 they are they are bars and they're nutrition things. And then I have one meal a day where I eat seven ounces of protein and three cups of uh, lean and green, so vegetables, but certain kinds of vegetables that are not high in carbohydrates. And uh, and I get some sleep. Yes. And uh, that's important. And I'm, work- and I'm working out and. Uh, uh, but it's in terms of increasing my metabolism and um, and and in increasing the amount of times that I eat religiously every two and a half hours, I eat something. Wow. Now, see, that's what people have to understand about when you really want to lose weight, that the body is like a machine mm-hmm. and you've got to keep that engine uh, going and running a lot, too. And then, like you said, drinking a lot of water. Yeah. How about how about working out? Are you working out? 
I am working out. I didn't work okay. out in the beginning because my body was, I tried to, but my body was confused. Didn't know if it wanted <laughs> It didn't know whether it wanted to grow muscle or lose fat. And I was more interested in losing the fat. Okay. So I waited. And then and then once I got towards my goal weight, then, you know, now I'm I'm, I'm working out. You know, I speed walk every morning. And, and, and now, you know, I just cracked the 13-minute mile in terms of speed walking. And uh, that's burning it up. You know, I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's cool. I, I and and listen. I mean, wearing clothes. You know, <laughs> I used to hide behind black. Right. You, you were black. Black is forgiving. <laughs> <laughs> they say it's slimming. That's why they always try to put all the fashion people in black, or you see them in black, so they look like they, you know, you know, just just I'm svelte. I'm svelte. When honestly, you're hiding something. Hiding something. <laughs> And, and when I got down to the fact that I had two pair of black pants and a couple of shirts that I could wear, this is so cold-blooded. You know, I went, to, I went to this event and I put on a shirt and I couldn't put the shirt on. I couldn't close the buttons. Oh. And so I took a Tom Ford silk shirt. Now, you know how expensive that is, right? I had mm-hmm. to cut out the sides. I had to cut the seam on the side. Oh, no. Right? in order so that it wouldn't grab my stomach. And then I put the coat on and couldn't butt the coat. And so, you know, somebody, and I was sweating like a dog. Somebody <laughs> said, you, you look like you hot. Why don't you take that jacket off? I said, uh, no. <laughs> You're like, no, I'm good. I'm I'm good. Let, me, let me just get a cup of a glass of cold water or something to cool off. Yeah, oh, exactly. my God. Yeah, and wow. by the way, mind your own business. Right. Okay, so so like you said, uh, we we've known each other for a long time, but I want to take our fans back to yeah. the beginning of your journey because this is what the Vivica Fox podcast show is about: is celebrating careers and letting fans get a chance to, you know, you're not promoting anything; you're just we're just celebrating you and all of your greatness. Okay, because okay. there were some things that I learned about you that I didn't know uh, okay. from my producers. I didn't know you were in the military. Oh, yeah. I was. Listen, I landed in Vietnam January 1st, 1201 in Vietnam. So when I got there, Mm -hmm. they were celebrating the new year. And I thought I had arrived in hell. And because there was gunfire everywhere. And I said, oh, no, I didn't know it was this bad. And they were just celebrating New Year. But, yeah, I was there during the worst year of Vietnam. That was a, that was an amazing experience. I'm so grateful to have survived it. How old were you? I was 21. What? I made my 21 years old. I was my 21st birthday was in Vietnam, and that's the only day that I did not want to die. Oh. Because I could actually legitimately throw that fake card I had away and get into clubs and go places on on the fact that I could get in now legitimately. But it was um, it, I was a medic. Mm. Oh, it really gave me an interpersonal relationship with, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to share something with you really quickly. Okay. What I learned in Vietnam at being a medic, they had a dude from a brother from Brooklyn. They had a, um, a white boy from Mississippi, had a wart on the end of his nose. They had a Mexican from, um, uh, from Texas. They had a Chinese dude from San Francisco. I was from Oakland and there were other people from all over the country from very diverse backgrounds. Yes. But it was 1968. And if you remember, it was racially tense then. 
Yeah. We got into Vietnam because we were in Vietnam and because we had to help each other survive, all of that went away. Wow. And therefore, because the interesting thing is, is that when you look at someone, really mm-hmm. look at them, and in Vietnam, because we're in the same union, we were forced to look at each other. Mm-hmm. We saw the humanity underneath it. No longer were you a white boy from Mississippi. You were a, a, a kind person. Yes. You had sympathy for people. Yes. You about folks. Those things became the important thing. And the humanity underneath all the external stuff became what was really important. And that's what we shared because we had to in order to survive. And right. Looking at the, the strife today. And, you know, the reality is that nobody's looking at each other. Exactly. Because we can't deal with what we feel when we see the other side. Now, Richard, can I ask you this? Do you feel like that's because leadership starts from the top and the current administration that we have in is causing division and racial tension to rear its ugly head again? Well, how do you feel about that? Well, unfortunately, the person at the top is one of one of historically one of the most divisive people in the history of man. Mm. Um, And it reminds me of past uh, civilizations or past countries that the dictator took over and the Mm -hmm. people and and horrible thing. Those countries don't exist today because they imploded. Mm. And, um, And when good people follow someone who has that kind of evil intent, Mm. It's a powerful, powerful thing. And then all of a sudden people's voices go away because they don't want to become the target of the wrath of that person. Mm. That's something that we have to fight and we have to recognize. And And the reality is, and this is the, this is so huge that as black people for 400 years, we have been in a system that has lied to us in mm. terms of you look at what there's written, like the Declaration of Independence is very specifically talks about things in terms of man being equal and that, you know, and, and that what the kind of world that we want to create. Well, that is only true for people that are non-white especially in his eyes. And after all this time, what, what is not recognized is the fact that, look, it is time. People are saying enough. Enough. People are not going to let you just kill black man and black mm-hmm. woman after black man and black woman. And it's okay. Those days have to be over. Agreed. And, and in order for it to be over, what it's going to take in order to change that you know, I mean, it, you don't you don't have to be boo boo the shithead to figure it out. OK, that part. Now, let's go back to the military. You said you were a medic uh, yeah. and you were 21 years old landing in Vietnam. But you you did good things with this because you want a purple heart. I want a purple heart. Yeah. Yes. Tell us I about that. Purple. Well, listen, in Vietnam, there's a lot of um, I mean, it. You know, look, look at the old newsreels of what it is. Look at any war. And it's it's really, really something. And um, the Purple Heart became I got not from a bullet or not from shrapnel, but from infection. My eyes got infected because, you know, you'd be in the jungle for months at a time. Wow. I thought you were going to say weeks, months at a time. 
Oh yeah, you you'd be in a jump. Well, uh, we were out. <laughs> I never will forget. We were out thirty days this mm-hmm. one time, and we went back to the base camp. And because we, the only thing that you can bathe in out there is a river where you hit the high and low spots and wash your face, <laughs> and that's it. You know, and you don't you don't smell yourself or you don't smell others. But when you go back in the base camp where these cats are, are in offices and, and they're sitting yes. around, they got the supply jobs. They're not out in the boonies. Right. They smell you coming. Oh, they smell you coming. I got into a child line to eat when we first got there. Cause we wanted to get some cooked food. Right. We got in that line and these cats were looking at us and making sounds. We almost jumped them because it's like, <laughs> you know, He's like, what you, what, what you talking about, man? What's what you up? About? You sitting behind this desk pushing pencils and, <laughs> and put a gun in your hand and you'll see what this is about, you know? Well, they, they were like, well, why don't you try a shower and then y'all come on back, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Why, why don't you try this ass whooping and then I'll get a <laughs> so how did you receive the purple heart that it was for you were saying that your eyes yeah, you, yeah. i got i wear contacts and so but but you put the contacts in with your fingers mm. and um and eventually i got an infection in my eye and uh it was pretty bad and um i wound up having to come back medevac back to the united states and then eventually to fitzsimmons hospital in um in denver colorado Mm. Yeah, but, um, you know, it wasn't because of some, I didn't get a bullet or shrapnel. I didn't lose any limbs. And, you know, I might have lost a little bit of my mind, but I, I know that's it. right. <laughs> you know, we, we went to, we, I, I got it. I have, a, I got an award, a veterans award that was presented me. And the woman before me was in the court system. And she talked about how, you know, in the court system, if you've been in a war and you've committed a crime, that because you were a veteran in a war, you go into a different courtroom because, you know, post-traumatic stress is a key part of the the judiciary process. Tina looked over at me and said, you know what? That's what you got. <laughs> we're going to talk about Tina. I love Tina, y'all. Yeah, I mean, I'm so happy that you both have found love again because she's just such an angel. I love us. Yeah. love her so much. But now you also work with athletes and getting them sober and stuff. How did that come into your life? Well, that came into my life because um, I had a problem myself. And um, I decided one night um, that I saw my own death. And I said, listen, you know, you either go get some help or you're not going to be here very much longer. And I was with one of my dear friends and I saw both of our deaths and he died a year, almost a year to the day later. Wait a minute, you said you saw your death. What do you mean by that? I just perceived, I could see that the road that I was on, where I was headed. Okay. And, and, and I saw, I saw that, that I was headed rapidly towards this brick wall. Mm. And it's going to smash in this wall because I was going downhill at such a rate because I was obsessive, compulsive. Yes. You know, the addiction mm-hmm. cycle is obsession, compulsion, and spiritual bankruptcy. And I was in that vortex and, mm. and nothing good was going to happen. And so I left 
that my friend's house on the way home, called a friend of mine who was a doctor, and he helped me get into this program called the Adult Substance Abuse Program. And after dealing with my own issues, mm -hmm. uh, they asked me to help them with the NBA drug program. And so we initiated and started the NBA, NBA players drug program. And so we were the first ones to institute, implement that program. And that program today has been a model program for corporations and other programs that have modeled themselves after it. So I, I was the initial one to deal with the players who we would education, training, treatment, and aftercare. We would go out and educate them and try to train them how to, how to function in a extended family. And then treatment and aftercare came after we had evidence. We would go and say, hey, you got to take this test. And if their test was negative, then they had a choice to either be out of basketball forever mm -hmm. or do this program for two years and then be reinstated. And so I ran that program from 1983 to 1994. Wow. I love that. I love that. And then now, while I was still acting, you know, while I was, while I was, out, I was doing, I was doing all my children on my way to Cleveland when the plane, when I got into that plane crash, oh, I was going to, in the drug program. Yeah, we're going to talk about that plane crash because yet another time where it's like you and these experiences that you've had <laughs> landing in Vietnam at 21, plane crashes. But I want to still go on this journey now. So how did you transition from the military to becoming an actor? Well, um, I, I got out of the military three months early. I found out you can get out three months early if you went into school, which you went to school. Mm. And so I applied that's the only school that I could get into because it was almost it was the beginning of the semester it was too late to go into a college or um uh university so junior college and so I went I got into a junior college and got out three months early so I wound up being in the army one year nine months seven days 15 hours 42 minutes and 32 seconds when I got on that plane to go home that, I, I clocked it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're like, I'm out. I'm out. So I went yeah. to college, you know, while I was there, I said, you know what? I'm going to be a lawyer. So uh, I was talking to some students and, uh, and this was my second stint at college because I was in college before in 1965, I graduated. So 65, 66, so 66 and 67, I was at Riverside College playing football. And then my cousin called me and said, hey, you want to go into business with me? Furniture moving business. So I put my money, I had some money saved, put it in. We bought a truck, went into a furniture moving business. And then three months after that, I got drafted and because I left college and then I went into service. So when I came back, I went to college and I was going to be a lawyer. Mm. And so I said, well, this is junior college. They don't have no law courses. Let me go join the debate team because I can use that as a in 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 uh in in the courtroom. So I went over to join the debate team. While I was there, this woman walked in and said, Whose voice is that? And I said, Well, well who are you talking about? What you want? She said, That's it. What you doing? It's uh 3 30 today. I said, well, she said, good, come to room 708. And then that was my, started my journey. Uh, she wanted me to do reader's theater. I did that. And then the audience's reaction was like, wow. And so then um, 
then she got me into forensics, which was competitional speech. And I became, I went undefeated, became the state champion. And um, then the acting coach asked me to get into, um, if I would like to do this musical called Golden Boy. Mm-hmm. And I said, why not? And so I started to um, act and sing and learn how to act and sing and dance and do all that thing. And, and I did that that musical. And ironically, interestingly enough, uh, somebody just sent me the program and I forgot that my, because Joe Wellington is the character's name in Golden Boy and he's a boxer. And so I forgot who was my boxing coach on in that in that uh, musical it was george foreman <laughs> what i just saw the program it reminded me and said oh right he was trying out for the olympics and so he was training up there and so he was my coach for boxing it was it was interesting and so that's how i got into into show business and then um my first professional play, which was shortly after that, was um, in the cast of No Play. I understudied in Cuckoo, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And then three weeks wow. later, I joined the cast of No Place to Be Somebody with Ben Vereen, Philip Michael Thomas, uh, Mae Mercer, and a, a wonderful group of, of, of actors. And, and that started me going on the national tour of No Place and then eventually to L.A. Wow. Okay. Did you kind of start in theater and then that led to television? Yeah, I did. Yeah. It was a couple of years before I really got into TV. Well, while I was doing No Place, the director came and saw the play because he had used Mae Mercer in a previous Clint Eastwood film and he wanted her to be, he, he came to see her and then he liked me and asked me would I be in his movie, which was, um, what was the movie that said, make my day? Um, uh, Clint Eastwood's movie? Yeah. 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 I, I, I forget what the name was. Dirty Harry. Dirty Harry. So yes. that was the very first thing I did film was Dirty Harry. Really? And, yeah. And uh, that was like in 1970, I think. Okay. And, and then, um, and then, you know, and then from there, I stayed in theater, went to Detroit, and did no place, met my first wife in Detroit. We didn't get married until later, but um, she went to, came to Baltimore with me. And mm-hmm. then... Who uh, was your first wife? Uh, Denise Gordy. Denise Gordy. Uh, is yeah. Any relation to Barry Gordy? Niece. The niece of Barry Gordy. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that was your first... How long were you all married? We met each other in 1971, and then we had... A, you know, we were in and out. We were kids and mm-hmm. we eventually divorced in 1989. Oh, well, that was a good seven. I mean, that was a long time. You know, uh, Hollywood marriages, you get five years. That's like a lifetime. <laughs> okay. Know, right? okay, let's keep that real. So in the <laughs> 70s, you here you come to here comes your movie career. You did yeah. Blackula, the Black. main event, Streets mm-hmm. of Fire. Um, now, all my children, you were all my children, the soap opera as well, too, right? Right, that was in the 90s. Okay, that was the 90s. Now, here comes the 80s. Mm-hmm. Dynasty. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on, man. Yeah. Dynasty. Nick yeah. Kimball? Now, the inter- you- interesting thing about Dynasty is that okay. at one point, I was the richest man in television because I had more money than Blake Carrington did. <laughs> Because I was an oil, uh, oil mine, and I struck oil, and so you know I had my own plane, and 
you know, that was we that was the high life, me and Diane Carroll. Yes, y'all was ballers rolling through, okay. Hey, look, we had so much fun working together, it wasn't even funny. Wow. Tell tell us what's your fondest memory? Because let me tell you something. When I met Diane Carroll, and then I mean it, it was like literally meeting royalty. Yeah. Um, I mean, she walked in a room and it was like, oh, it was so beautiful, so stunning. Yeah. And then the way she carried herself, the way she spoke. And then people, and when I did Empire, they was like, oh, okay, you like you like our generation, Diane Carroll. And I considered that such yeah. a huge compliment because she yeah. y'all represented the ultimate of class. What's your favorite memory of Diane Carroll, the late Diane Carroll? Well, a lot of what you just said, you know, she was really so classy and so uh, royal and so kind and professional and fun. She was mm. just so much fun. Every time we showed up, we had a ball. We laughed the whole day and then would go work. And, you know, and there was always this really kind of interesting flirtation, but it was only in terms of the spirit of the fact that we appreciate each other. And then, and then after the, after dynasty was over with, we still maintained a a real affinity for each other. She was a, she was a real class act and, um, and she wasn't pretentious, you know, she was a real, she was just for real, you know, when you know her, she was just, she was just so real. And so, I loved working with Diane Carroll and I thought that it was so great for, for television. It was for African-Americans because you, you know, it was the first time you saw people with that kind of status and that kind of money and having that kind of like, um, lifestyle, uh, lifestyle. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so it really gave, um, you know, it gave us something to look forward to. Because Krista kept it real. Diane came in and they tried to tell her that they didn't have a suite. And she was like, excuse me? Okay, do you not see this luggage and how I'm rolling up and through here? You better have now and so and you had a jet. Yeah. yeah. No, no jet. It was one. Of, it was one of the great entrances. <laughs> a great entrance in any show. Yeah. It was a low, a low, a low angle camera that panned the small Louis Vuitton to the little bit larger to the little bit larger to the little bit larger to the yes. little bit larger yes. to the captain's trunk, and it was <laughs> damn right. And then the strut, you know what I mean? And the fur. And it was yeah, like, exactly. I, I, I know you're not speaking to me in that manner. Excuse exactly. me. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. everybody can pull that off. Yes. But Diane can, Diane, Diane Carroll could pull that off. She did. She did. Now you only did that show for one season? We did it for one season. And then at the end of the show, we got married. And then, you know, they sent us off into, you know, soap purgatory. Why, why do you think that was? I don't know. It was curious. Um, you know, I don't know if it had to do with, uh, you know, during those days uh, and still today, it's just changed. In the old days, it was letters. When they would get letters, um, you know, the, that was your TVQ in terms of how many people wrote in. And so therefore, for every letter, they equivocated that to that was equivalent to I think it was 10 people who felt the same way. And so the amount of letters that came in made a difference. And so the only thing that I could, I could determine mm-hmm. who would not want Diane Carroll on the show, even, wow. if they did, even if they didn't want me, because Diane Carroll was the big money. Right. right. So, so by, by the fact that it was so highbrow that those people that would be voting 
for Trump today are probably the same people who said, oh, you know, we don't want to see that. Now, I don't gotcha. know that to be true. I'm just surmising is because it's like, why would they write these two characters out? Right. Because you guys were just absolutely fabulous. I mean, when you do think about Dynasty, you think about the two of you. I mean, nope. to me, you know, because you all represented so much, especially for our community. Now, you, you said something about uh, that you came in on a jet. You were actually in a plane crash. I was in a plane crash on my way to Cleveland to talk to the Cleveland Cavaliers because I was in the drug program, running the drug program at the time. And I was going to talk to the Cleveland Cavaliers. And, it, and the, when I got to the airport, the snowstorm, it hit and it was like crazy. So. Tell us about that. You were on your way. That was when you were still doing your counseling thing. Yeah. And so you're on your way there to do counseling to Cleveland. It's crazy snow and, and the plane goes down. Yes. Okay. It was, it was uh, a snowstorm and most of the flights were being canceled, but my flight wasn't. And um, mm. I got on that plane. And the interesting thing about it is that everything in my spirit told me, do not get on this plane. Wow. I knew the plane was going to crash. And, it's, you know, it's an interesting thing because your spirit is one thing. Yes. You know, your spirit, you're, there's an all-knowing part of you. Mm. And, and, and the all-knowing part of you, that, that sixth sense, if you will, that third eye, that thing that is able to sense the truth is, you know, that's, that's one station, if you will, like a radio station. The other station is all the shit you have learned in the course of your life, that public part of you that part of you that reacts to the world that wants to be like that doesn't want to be wrong mm -hmm. that find that politically correct part of you is going to defy the truth that you know you know what i mean and so i knew this truth but somehow i kept justifying staying on that plane mm. and when that plane took off the moment it took off it started to veer hard to the left and then he tried to abort the flight and the wing hit a weather tower. The left wing hit a weather tower and the plane exploded <gasps> and then the plane tumbled and broke up and wound up in Flushing Bay. And I wound up being that I was in first class purely by accident. Now, this is an interesting thing. I had to fly coach. Uh, for the NBA, if you flew under three hours, you mm -hmm. had a coach. If you flew more than three hours, then you could do first class. First class, right. So it was one hour to Cleveland. So I was in 6A. Mm -hmm. and, but the but the ticket agent recognized me and came earlier and said, hey, man, would you do a, um, you know, an autograph for my wife? Well, now, Vivica, you know, we ain't stupid. We know how to use celebrity if we have to. It's like... <laughs> I will, and you're gonna bump me up, right? Yes. How many? How many autographs you need, my brother? Hey, look, I wrote his wife a love letter, okay? Because <laughs> I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get it, right. So, so, so he came and said, "Man, you know, first class is full. I'm sorry to say, but I got you. You know, I'm gonna block out that seat next to you." And I said, "Okay, cool." So I'm sitting in six A. Mm -hmm. Just before the door closes, he comes on and he waves me forward. Ooh. I go to one F and, um, but when I got up to go forward, the woman in the, on the left side in five and a woman on the right side in row five said, Hey, can we take your seat? Okay, cool. And they went and took my seat. I went to one F plane takes off crash goes in the water. I'm underwater trapped in my seat and underwater trapped in your seat. Yeah. 
And oh my God. So the first part, first moment I'm down there, it's like, see, you knew this. <laughs> you were supposed to get on this flight. What you doing to see what you doing here? And it was like, look, just chill, just chill, just chill, just. Wow. You know, and I started, I started uh, trying to think through this really quick and then some weird shit happened. All of a sudden I heard the plane creaking underwater. And I, wow. said, I said, wow, that sounds just like the submarine that was down on the bottom of the ocean trying to avoid the death charges from my mind went to the fact that the sound effects were so cool and they got that shit right. And it was like, what's wrong with you, boy? <laughs> Wait a minute. You underwater about to drown and you up here like, wow, the sound effect. That was some good sound effects. Okay. Wait, Richard, come on. Now when, now, when did fight or flight or whatever that is that sits come in that you're like, I got to get up. I'm about to drown. Well, that hit me. It hit me because it said, I, you know, it was like I got came to my senses, if you will. Yes. And the first thing was, is just relax because you don't want the people that love you to feel your spirit struggling you don't want them to live with that mm. but just be calm so they'll know that you died calmly then something else hit me you know it was all of a sudden it was like why am i here how did i get here you got here because you didn't listen to your own impulses and then i looked at my entire life talk about your life flashing before you in a second i saw all the times when i did the same thing and then i came back and said fuck this i know that's right and i started fighting because shit had caved in i started fighting and pushing things off of me and the next thing i know i'm i need air i got to have air and i i fight and all of a sudden i was just had to breathe in and it was air and water and sea and the bay water and air because i just hit the surface mm, okay so I consume this bay water right okay well I wound up surviving this. And this is a funny story. I got out of the water, got up on land. I see the terminal and I started, and I, I, I mean, I'm, my, my, my teeth are chattering like, not like, they're going, wow. And so I'm freezing. I got hypothermia and I don't even know it. So I'm going towards the terminal and I see this dude running across the tarmac with this sweatshirt on and his face. And then as he gets closer, I see it's a brother. And he said, Hey man, Hey man, you all right? I said, yeah, man. He's, it's like, I need to, I need to get, I'm, I'm cold. He said, come on, man, let me help you. Hey, Hey, you that dude on all my children. <laughs> You're like, yes, I am. And get me a damn blanket and a heated one at that. No, <laughs> look, the second he said, you the dude on my children. What's going on, brother? Oh, a plane in my, crash. <laughs> in, my, in my mind said, well, you know, not, not just you had a little plane crash and you know, <laughs> that, was, that was my inner voice because it was like, what's going on? So, yeah, anyway, that, that, that happened. And again, I'm grateful to have survived. Yes. But I'm also grateful for what I have come to learn about trusting myself and yeah. knowing what I know. Agreed. I know 
everything I need to know because my instinct, my impulses, and the good Lord is going to guide me to where I need to be. So don't doubt and don't fear. Don't fear. Know that if you're present, you will get to the other side if the other side is meant for you. But the only way you're going to get there is just to be present in the moment. Agreed. Now, I want to move a little bit forward because I don't want to lose my time with you because I still want to uh, okay. Let everybody know now your next journey after all of that that you've been uh-huh. through, okay. the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, surviving a plane crash. Uh-huh. You now have you started your own theater thing where you coach and 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 create you create and you do coaching for actors, correct? Yes. I've, yes. I've been, I've been teaching for 40 years and now I have Richard Lawson Studios mm-hmm. and we have uh, a, a school there and we have a number of classes. We have your basic scene study class, but I started something called the professional development program where I put a camera in people's hands and I teach them how to have a career. Yes. Not necessarily to become the next Spike Lee or Quentin Tarantino, but mm-hmm. just so that they can create their own evidence. Because if you're waiting to get hired by Hollywood, you can be in that line and those lines forever. Whereas if you create your own stuff like Issa Rae mm-hmm. and like, you know, uh, uh, all the other people uh, who have created their own, where you can see their strength and you see who they are because they're right in their sweet spot, that you have a better chance of making Hollywood come to you on your terms and you trying to get in line hoping that you get invited to that party. Exactly. Exactly. Now, from there, now something that I love that that you you started and you started this with uh, your now wife, your beautiful wife, Tina Knowles Lawson, who also was on the show. Hey, Tina. Love you, girl. Uh, You started Waco Theater, correct? Yes. Yes. Now, tell us what Waco Theater stands for. Waco stands for Where Art Can Occur. And um, it, there's two components. There's actually three components to Waco Theater Center. One is a mentorship program. We mentor 90 kids. And uh, we actually, we just bought them, you know, computers. And we are going to teach them the professional development program, how to make films on the, through the internet. And uh, where the kids are creating movies uh, about subjects that are important to young people today and that we're creating a channel, a young people's channel for kids, by kids, where kids are going to be dealing with, with bullying, with, mm-hmm. uh, with uh, depression, with suicide, with parents and friends and relationships and all things concerning kids so that other kids can come and see these films, these little three-minute films that these kids make and and be able to get some kind of empowerment uplift and inspiration from other kids through through other kids voices their own age so we're we're doing that so we have the mentorship port we have the theatrical portion of it where we had an event called i've got the mic and it's a series of things that we're going to be doing a presentation of presenting literature to for African-American people to learn about their culture. And one key component is the evolution of African culture. And Ghana is our focus. And and going forward, we're going to focus on Nigeria and other African countries and see how that has affected Western civilization in terms of style, music, dance, literature, finance. 
go to the website and find it because it is awesome. So let me tell you out there, the Waco Theater Gala that they, y'all didn't get, we didn't get to have it this year because of Corona. But right. when I'm telling you this event is show enough, one of the most awesome things to experience yeah. for art. And it's just a good evening. And you guys raise a lot of money to give back to the community. This is, I, it's just, if you all, whenever we get through Corona, you must do the Waco Theater Gala. Okay. Now I want to ask a question real quick. The Waco experience, is that how you and Tina found love? No. Because she said that you all have known each other for a very long time. She was pregnant when Beyonce, when I met her. Wow. She was my sister's best friend. Yes. So she came to California and would hang out with my sisters. And there's a possibility that we may be cousins down the line, but we kind of, <laughs> we pass, we pass having kids, you know, but we from Louisiana. So, you know, kissing cousins is not, you know, <laughs> <laughs> they may be cousins, but we, we don't care right now. Okay. <laughs> we don't care. You know I mean? yeah. So we met then and we really developed a real respect and appreciation for each other because I saw that she was, you know, she was of service. Yes. And Tina has been of, been of service her entire life. Yes. And I have been of service my entire life. And so that's something that really we both recognized in each other way back then. And so when we re reconnected like seven years ago, or more that, you know, it was a sort of rekindling of all this old appreciation that we, and respect that we had for each other. And at the time, you know, she's one of the prettiest women I ever seen in my life. She is you know, stunning. It's like God. Stunning. And she was, she was married. So it was like, dang. Yeah. Okay. But that's okay. Cause your turn came up, brother. Your turn came up. <laughs> and can I just say this also about Tina? Tina can cook y'all. Okay. Tina can burn in that kitchen. Her and Richard threw me uh, a, a gumbo birthday dinner sure last year, last year. That was just awesome. It was literally, I mean, my birthday, I celebrated it for a longer time, but that was such a special moment yeah. that I will never forget sitting there at the table. And we had our co-stars co from the Royal Family, which was a Christmas film that Richard yeah. and I did together in Detroit. And that's when we all really, really bonded and really got right. to know each other. The Royal yeah. Family was with Debbie Morgan, Chelsea, who was now pregnant. Did you know Chelsea's going have a baby? I know. I okay. know. She's I know. the cutest she, pregnant girl ever. I know. She's so ador adorable. And then um, our daughter. Who was the daughter? Who? Oh, my gosh. Her name is on the tip of my... Yes. Who was just doing amazing, doing she great did. things. She did. But, she and then, she, lost, she lost so much weight. She looks so thin right now. Wow. And then Romeo Miller. Romeo Miller was your son. So anyway, y'all, let me give y'all a little backstory. I was the sister-in-law from hell. I gave... <laughs> I but gave Richard's character off from hell. She ain't lying. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I was just like, Debbie, you don't need to be with him. He's no good for you. He's never been good enough for you. And, and, and it was hard to play that because I adore you and I love you so much and we're good friends, but it was fun. You know, Doing the, the Royal Family was just such a, um, an amazing Christmas movie that we did. And we were working on trying to get together to do a sequel, but uh, Ricky Harris, the comedian yeah. and actor, passed away, unfortunately. Rest his soul yeah. and, re and rest in peace. But uh, it was fun working with the family in uh, Detroit. It was something that I'll never forget. 
I love Ricky Harris. Ricky was constantly, he kept me on the floor. He was a comedian and he was just so, so funny. And I'm so sorry to see him go. And, and it, was a, it was a Thanksgiving movie and we did two movies, Thanksgiving okay. movie and a Christmas movie. Yes, exactly. You know, who knows? Maybe we can go back to that drawing board one day. Maybe so. so yeah. So moving forward, let's talk about you as a dad because your yes. kids are awesome too. You My know? Are, listen, you know the beautiful thing about, about, Tina and I getting together. What's that? She has awesome kids. Forget what they do. Yeah. Forget that. Take all that away, just in terms of being people. And my kids are awesome. And when we all get together, I would hang out. If I had to be stuck on an island and just hung out with them the rest of my life, forget family. Just that's the bonus. The point is, is that these human beings are so great. They're just yes. great human beings. People have no idea the the, the human being that, that Beyonce is yes. or Jay yes. or Solange yes. or Bianca or my son Ricky, they're incredible people. And then and then Kelly, who's like a bonus daughter to to Tina, and then all the grandkids, you know. Yeah. We got a lot of divas, them young divas. (laughs) (laughs) Divas are training. But wait, I want to ask you because okay, coming through. So your your daughter, Bianca, uh, is an actress, correct? Yeah, she's my favorite actor now. Not because she's my daughter. It's okay. just because she's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And then your son, Ricky, helped you to lose weight. You guys lost the weight weight together? Me, Tina, and Ricky. Tina lost 25. Ricky lost 40. Um, wow. I lost 55 pounds. We took a picture because we did something with John Legend, and we were all in white. And we look like, you know, we look like uh, albino rhinos. We were so big. <laughs> But you know what? Can I tell you something? That is the one thing that that camera don't lie. Like sometimes you see it, you'd be like, oh, wait, wait, wait. You try to blame me. Oh, okay. Well, you know, it's because I had a white or because I had a black. No, your ass ain't got big. Okay. <laughs> the camera don't lie. The camera don't That's lie. About, that's what I love about the camera. It don't lie. No doubt. Okay. No. So. You know, we're going to come to a close, but I want to uh, let, I just want to, you know, talk to you about what are, what current projects are you working on? I'm working on this huge project now that is going to take place over seven days, 24 hours a day. It is part museum installation, part theatrical performance, part documentary. And um, it is going to be dealing with bias and discrimination um, just what the, where the world is right now. And I can't talk too much about it, but Mm -hmm. I'm so blown away by, by this and I'm all caught up in it and that uh, you'll hear more about it soon. And in December, we have all young people doing poetry, wordsmithing and all like that musical performances and the whole thing. You know, I'm building my school behind me is the logo for Richard Lawson studios. Look, look that up because we're doing some amazing things too. Um, I'm just so blessed and so happy to be where I am right now. I'm turning chicken shit into chicken salad. I love it. And then you are also helping young black men with Richard's Warriors. Yes. Tell us about Richard's Warriors. Tina's Angels and Richard's Warriors. Yes. Tina's mentorship group, Tina's Angels, Richard's Warriors is the boys. And, um, and 
those both of those groups are contiguous. We both do the same things. And it's about empowering these young kids to know that they can see beyond their zip code. Because yes. most people can't. They're kind of locked into that place. And we're offering opportunities, you know, for these young men to dream bigger, to want more, to be able to do more, and to have the discipline to go and make it happen. Because where we are today in this political, you know, scenario, if we don't do it with our kids and for our kids, nobody else will. What tips would you have for aspiring actors? I would say that, first of all, I would say, make sure you study. Yes. Study. You got you to gotta develop the skill set. And you got to find your own uniqueness. Mm. You know, understand that the most important thing that you can develop is your own sense and appreciation of yourself. You got to know your instrument. You got to know who you are. You got to be authentic in your creation. And you only do that by actually putting yourself in the position to, to dig deeper and work harder. You know, um, um, I'm old school in terms of everything that I, the way I go about it, but the way that I deliver it is with 21st century technology. So this is the new world right here. We ain't going back to like in, you know, you're not going to be going to Warner Brothers for an audition. You're going to be doing it right here on these instruments here. So we got to learn this. This is what we got to learn. Wow. Well, that leads us perfectly into today's hustle hack. Hashtag Find the good and praise it. Just like my man Richard Lawson said, always look for the good in your life and focus on your strengths. Don't let challenges get in your way. Turn it around and create something new. Aspire to greatness and empower yourself to pursue your dreams. People know that dreams don't have expiration dates. All right. You can do it. Keep that hustle going. Keep going forward. Don't look backwards to receive your blessings. Your blessings are in front of you by believing in yourself. Wow. I just want to thank you so much. I mean, talking to you, I mean, I could talk to you forever, but I only have so much time. (laughs) I mean, I just adore you. I adore you, your family, your wife, and I'm just so happy to see you getting healthy and fit. Tell our fans where they can find you on your social media platforms. At Mr. Richard Lawson. On all platforms, uh, Instagram, on everything. Yeah, at at Mr. Richard Lawson, you'll find me. Just Google my name. (laughs) Google me. I should be the first Richard Lawson that comes up. Richard Lawson, at Mr. Richard Lawson. I love it. And you guys, you can find your girl at Miss Vivica Fox on Twitter and at Miss V Fox on Instagram. And you can also follow the podcast show at Vivica Hustling. Subscribe, download, and listen to Hustling with Vivica A. Fox now. Until next time, darlings. Bye for now. The Hustling with Vivica A. Fox podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended as a replacement or substitution for any professional medical, financial, legal, or other advice, diagnosis, or treatment. This podcast does not constitute the practice of medicine or any other professional service. The use of any information provided during the podcast is at the listener's own risk. For medical or other advice appropriate to your specific situation, please consult a physician or other trained professional.